your neck, run it back. Thank you for listening to Central Alabama Crime Stoppers podcast. We are a nonprofit organization serving the state of Alabama. If you have any information regarding a crime, please contact the police or Crime Stoppers using our anonymous 24-hour tip line at 215-STOP, area code 334, or by downloading our P3 Tips app from your app store. When you call, be sure to receive a tip ID and password in order to dialogue with investigators in case there is a follow-up question. You can also contact us at our toll-free number at 1-833-AL1-STOP or visit our website at 215stop.com and follow us on Facebook at Central Alabama Crime Stoppers. Always remember, if you see something, say something. Hello, and thanks for joining us for the Central Alabama Crime Stoppers podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Bowerman, joined by... Tony Garrett, and I'm the Executive Director of Central Alabama Crime Stoppers. All right, Tony, talk to us a little bit about who we're speaking with today and why. I thought it would be a good time to maybe bring in a service provider. Drugs is right now a big issue in our community, dealing with youth, the adults. Uh, we're talking about addiction, legality, how do you get help, prison systems, jail. Uh, so it's a lot of things that we can talk about with drugs. So I thought it would be a good time to talk with one of our local service providers, uh, Sharita Finch, who's the executive director of COSA, Council on Substance Abuse. I know obviously the COVID-19 pandemic has played a big role in those struggling with addiction too. So that'll be a big part of the conversation today. Let's give her a call and uh, see what she has to say and what kind of information she can provide about the resources there at uh, the Council on Substance Abuse. Hello. Hey, this is Tony Garrett with Central Alabama Crime Stoppers, and I'm joined by Ashley Bowman. And we're going to try to get some answers out of you about drugs, about your program, and maybe what the public should be aware of. Thank you for having me. Well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, about COSA. I'm the, currently the executive director at the Council on Substance Abuse. We, COSA, as we call ourselves, um, as we're known, COSA is a nonprofit organization that has actually been around since the early 1970s. And as a nonprofit, we provide alcohol and substance abuse, prevention education, and recovery support services. We also provide services addressing risk factors that are usually or sometimes associated with those alcohol and substance abuse issues such as um, HIV and mental health services. On our prevention side, we work with a number of school systems. We're in seven counties with our prevention services, and we implement prevention programs in primarily our school systems. On our other side of our programs, offer recovery support services, and mainly we work with adults with substance use disorders, so we're able to not only provide that support in the form of a meeting, but we also provide support for individuals who may need housing assistance and um, employment assistance, assistance, transportation, or just something as simple as assistance and figuring out how do I get my driver's license or where do I get my, my birth certificate. Those services are provided pretty much across the state. Well, wow, and that's free of charge to your clients as far as if I was to call with Yes, absolutely. Yes, all of our services are free and we do receive funding. We receive federal funding as well as state funding. I'm one of our largest partners at the state level is the Alabama Department of Mental Health. Sharita, talk about the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, and how it has impacted those struggling with addiction? Well, we have seen with the pandemic, it just something as simple with our recovery program, we typically have had meetings face-to-face. And when we were in the crux of the pandemic, we went to virtual. We had virtual recovery meetings on Facebook, and then we also set up a, a Zoom format for individuals. And initially, 
it was greatly attended. But what we started seeing was some of our folks, they weren't attending or they, we had some individuals who relapsed. Actually, this was not different than a a lot of other recovery programs. The technology or the virtual meetings were just not the same. Um, as that face-to-face or that touch um, or those relationships or just a fellowship that individuals receive when they're participating face-to-face in those uh, programs and services. And so what we started to do actually was create a toolkit program where every month we would drop off or mail a toolkit of information or um, resources. For example, one month was mental health month and we gave our participants stress balls in their kit. And so we just tried to change with the times, but try to keep our folks engaged. And we could only do that for so long until we just decided, hey, we got to get people back into our building and provide services face-to-face. And so we are now doing face-to-face services. Awesome. Love that. Sounds like you guys were able to kind of see the situation, what was and was not working, and really just having that in-person conversation with people is so important, especially when it comes to substance abuse and the conversations that need to be had regarding that. Actually, because it's contrary to, you know, individuals in recovery, we want you to come to our recovery center. We want you to be with other people in recovery to receive that support. But during the pandemic, of course, there was a lot of self-isolation. And so a number of people, if they didn't have a strong family or um, community support, um, it was a little bit more harder on them to stay connected. And so that's one of the reasons we really made a decision to to go back to -to face-to-face and just adapt, you know, using CDC guidelines. So we've had people attending. Sharita, talk now, Shift, um, you had mentioned early on when you, some of the first conversations we just had, uh, talking about uh, schools and the situation happening now in the area y'all cover drugs in relation to, to schools. Talk about that and just kind of how much of a problem that is for the area that, that y'all serve. So as I mentioned, we work with a number of school systems and we try to collect data just to see what programs and services are needed as it relates to alcohol and substance use. We ask other questions. And so we were able to get some data from some of our school systems. And once again, this is not unusual from what other school systems or other states are seeing. But the pandemic increased a lot of mental health issues, a lot of mental health problems, not only for adolescents, but also for adults. And coupled with that, there has been an increase in alcohol and substance use during the pandemic. And so what we're looking to do for this upcoming school year, we are looking to work with our partners, our education partners, to not only address alcohol and substance use, but also to address mental health. We're looking at building the capacity of school staff as one way. One of the things we were recently awarded a mental health first aid grant and mental health first aid training um, prepares the individual or layperson how to recognize the signs and symptoms of adolescents who may be experiencing a mental health crisis or issues, how to identify that, and then how to connect them to resources. For many people, the issue is not not wanting help. The issue is, where do I get help? There's a huge misconception about the cost of treatment, whether it's mental health or whether it is substance use treatment. And there are treatment providers, there are services in the state of Alabama that are actually free or at a minimum cost to residents. And so 
One of the things we really want to work on is educating the community about getting access to these services because we do have providers who can assist individuals, whether they are in mental health crisis and need a treatment, as well as alcohol and substance use. What economic base are we looking at? Is it false information being put out there that's saying, oh, we only talk about low-income type kids, or is it a full spectrum of people that have problems like this? So I always say addiction doesn't have a zip code preference. It doesn't have an area code preference. And so we look at addiction as a, from a disease model. And if you think about the number of families who are, who experience diabetes or who would experience cardiovascular health, addiction is also another disease that can be, that can impact the family, not only just the individual, but on, on a generational level. And so that's why it's so important to understand this disease. When we talk about the disease of addiction, when I talk with people, I actually try to have a conversation. Do you remember, or do you have a family member that you can remember who may have come frequently intoxicated during family gatherings? Or can you think about another family member or how many family members? And so I try to talk from an awareness perspective because you may have that genetic gene, you may have that disease of addiction in your family and then to see how many people in your family may be impacted by alcohol and substances. And so once you're educated or have more information, um, especially for our young kids, our young, our young adults and teens, I think once you understand and are more educated, then you're able to talk to your teen or your younger um, child about this disease. We just recently ended a campaign. It was talk to your kids for parents. It was geared to parents. Talk about prevention. We talk about sports. We talk about going shopping. We talk about a whole lot of topics to our kids. But do we talk about alcohol and substance use? And and we have data showing that a little bit less than 50% of teens actually say their parents talk to them about that. Yet, this is an issue Actually, in most counties across the state, when we look at children policy councils in each county, alcohol and substance use is usually number one or number two issues that communities face. And so it's very important to educate communities because once you're educated, you're able to make better decisions. And so back to your question about treatment, there are people who have in their insurance with their job have coverage to provide services and they're not aware of it. Goes back to the piece of being educated, just like diabetes. If you had diabetes, you would wanna go and get that taken care of and talk to your doctor. We just encourage anyone who may think they're experiencing alcohol or substance use, dependency or issues, contact us. We can get you connected to services. With our recovery support services, what's awesome, once again, is that I hire people who have who have been there, they're in recovery now. What better way to work with individuals um, and to have individuals who can say, you know what, I've been there. I'm gonna walk with you. We're gonna walk together, um, whether it's to go get assessed for treatment or whether it's I'm gonna be on the outside once you get out of treatment. I'm, we're gonna still be working with you. That goes a long way. A lot of people don't know that, you know, treatment is not a cure when you go to treatment and it is effective, it works. But we know that there's a majority of people who struggle from the disease of addiction and they actually don't get help. Where are they? They're in our families. They're at our jobs. They're in our churches. They're in our communities. That's why recovery is important because, as an example, someone can be in addiction for 10 years, but they have 30 years of life left to live. 
And so it makes sense to support that individual in their recovery for the rest of their lives. And that's why that recovery piece is so important to support someone who's struggling with the disease of addiction. Because I've never met anybody who said, when I was little, when I, wanted to, when I grew up, I wanted to be addicted. I wanted to lose jobs, families, opportunities. I've never met anybody like that. And so that's how even myself coming into this field had to be educated and understand this disease. And if we're going to address this disease, um, which affects about one in every three individuals, I, I'm going to guess it may be two out of three. Um, now with the opioid epidemic, if we don't understand it, we can't address the stigma. And so many people are trying to deal with the disease isolated in fear because of the stigma attached with it. And I think once we start really getting to the stigma part of addiction, more people will ask for help. More people will get help and be able to live their lives um, to the fullest or the, the life that they wanted to have. As you can tell, Tony, I'm very passionate about this field and I, I just love what we do and being able to see people come in. And sometimes we have to love people when they don't love themselves just to see a number of people blossom and reach their potential and grow and go and then come back and still be in recovery and, uh, and talk about the wonderful things that's going on in their life. And, and that's what it's really about. And that's why I called you, because you do have a passion about what you do. And anytime you have a passion about the program that you run, that means that you're actually helping people. So I appreciate you doing your job. I know Ashley has a question for you, though. Sharita, you kind of already answered this just now, but talk a little bit about if you had a message for those maybe listening to this podcast who are struggling with addiction, who are scared to get help, what would your message be to them? My message would be don't give up. My message would be you have a disease. You are not a failure. You are not being punished. But there's help and recovery is possible. There are millions of people who have the same disease that you do, but they were able to get help or be able to address their addiction and they're living productive, full lives now. And so that could be you, that could be you. But the first step is going to be you reaching out to a provider or agency like COSA and we can walk with you through that process and, and be with you through your process. Change is, is, is a very scary thing. The unknown is a very scary thing, but so many people have taken that step into the unknown and have come out better, healthier, happier than before. And so, so if you're struggling, don't know where to turn, please give us a call. And our number is 334-262-7477. And somebody will be on that other end of that call and, and be able to start that conversation. We do have walk-ins. We have a recovery community center. And that is so important because when you think about individuals who are thinking about it or attempting to, to abstain from substances or in, in recovery, um, your family may not understand that. They may not even know how to support you. And so with our Recovery Community Center, you can walk in there, you can sit down, you can watch TV, we play games, other activities with other people who've been there with you. And so there's nothing worse. Just think about someone who's trying to work out and lose weight. Clearly, you would want to hang out in the gym somewhere or, or on a track with somebody who shares the same interests that you have. And so that's the, the same thing with a recovery community center, to be around people who understand what you're going through and is able to support you in your journey. 
And one of the, the largest pieces, you know, I would say, you know, when an individual is in addiction, their family is. And when they're in recovery, their family is. But the education piece for the family. Also looking at issues or facing issues that may have contributed to the beginning of your substance use. We have a number of individuals on in our program who started as a teenager. And it started with a cigarette. A number of people started with smoking marijuana or drinking out of dad's cabinet, you know, when he wasn't looking. And I just tell anyone as a parent, sometimes we think we're doing the right decision. We're making the right decision when we introduce them to a substance or alcohol. You know, it's culturally accepted sometimes. You know, you go fishing, you may share beer with your teen or glass of wine with your daughter. When you, and so not understanding this disease of addiction, you very well may be triggering something that you had no idea was within that child, that person, um, no. because we're all different. We have, you know, genetically we're different, but we just don't know. And parents have become more educated about when they're thinking about making a decision to have their young child who's still developing, introduce them to alcohol or introduce them to cigarettes or even, you know, other substances. And not telling your age, but I think we're about the same age. And I think when we were coming up, we used to have the phrase uh, gateway drug. Is there such a thing? Well, actually, there's been some studies I've been looking at, and I want to read more about the opioid use disorder and the correlation with marijuana. Um, they're saying a lot of opioid users have been early marijuana users. And so I just know that for a number of people in our program, they talk about starting with cigarettes and marijuana. But today's marijuana is so much stronger than the marijuana that you and I know about, Tony, not saying mm -hmm. that you smoked or that I smoked, but... The marijuana today is so much more potent. And so we have a lot of adolescents who are addicted to marijuana. I used to uh, I teach at a, a local college and I would ask the students, you know, marijuana is a plant. And I said, well, if it's a plant and it's not addictive, why can't people stop long enough to get a job? And they were like, well, I don't know. And so I'm saying, well, clearly there's some dependence where a person will not stop long enough. And a lot of employers, that's one of their biggest challenges. They can't find people who will pass a drug test. So, and, and marijuana is often the drug. And so if that is not an addictive substance, why can't people stop long enough? If you know you're looking for a job and you know your chance, are you going to have to take a, a drug test? Why can't you stop long enough to pass that test? And for me, that means that there's something else. Today, with the opioid and heroin, and the recent overdoses of individuals and the fentanyl and the, it's just so much going on. I tell people, be careful for especially your adolescents. There's data talking about early marijuana use and psychosis and the correlation between mental health issues and teens using early. And just think about it. As a teen, your brain is developing, right? It's still developing. And so when you introduce substances into that process, you will more than likely disrupt the natural growth and development of your brain and body. We could do a whole podcast, I think, just on <laughs> marijuana and all that comes of that, the different beliefs people have on marijuana. But you bring up an interesting point when you said it's not addictive. And I know people right now who I would say are addicted to marijuana and they'll never tell you they are, but they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I know for a fact that's the drug that 
we're seeing in schools Mm -hmm. very prevalent. What would you tell kids? I mean, because that's something that, you know, obviously you as a professional, you know, if I tell them, yes, it is addictive, they're not going to believe me. But, you know, what would your message be? Because like you said, it is. I'll just, you know, ask the questions. Youth who are not um, performing or failing academically, who may be getting into trouble in school, chances are they may be experiencing some substance use issues. Once again, it can contribute to other issues. And one thing I actually, I think people don't realize is when you're smoking a marijuana drug, we for many years fought the fight against tobacco, but people don't know there's over 400 chemicals in a in marijuana. So when you're smoking, you're not only just theoretically getting a, a leaf just rolled up, you're getting other chemicals that people who are growing them are putting on those plants, whether it's pesticides to kill the bugs or whether it's other chemicals to speed the growth of the plant. And so when we're talking about what's going into our lungs, my question is, if you don't want to smoke a cigarette because you think it's bad, what do you think a marijuana plant is doing for you when it comes with all of those chemicals? That's a very good point. Sharita, I know we can talk for hours about your programs. What I want to do, I want to bring you back, and I want to specifically talk about a program that you're going to have in the schools along with Crime Stoppers and maybe go in some more detail about what programs are out there and what we're doing to try to fix the problem in the schools. And I want to uh, talk to you about the jails also, the systems that you have, the programs you have in the jail systems. Absolutely. Thank you for having me today, Tony, and anytime, because when you look at social ills, things that are really impacting our families, and once again, it, it doesn't just stay at lower income families. It does just it doesn't hit minority families. You can't create a demographic. <laughs> um, it, it impacts all of us. And so when we look at our communities and social ills, alcohol and substance use is often part of the equation. And so my thought is, if we can address that issue alone, just think of how many communities will flourish, how many families will flourish, how many individuals will flourish. And so I'll definitely come back. We can talk about our project. I'm excited. You know, the work never ends, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. I know my staff is going to be attending the mental health first aid course that you're putting on. So I'm excited about that. We'll be able to maybe connect that to our conflict resolution programs in the schools. And maybe we can do something positive results out of our partnership. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. Uh, We look forward to speaking to you again. You too. And good talking to you again, Ashley. You take care and stay safe. Thank you, Sharita. We really appreciate you for joining us. Well, Ashley, what do you think? I thought that was filled with tons of really important information, tons of resources available that I think a lot of people don't know are out there. I think what I learned personally from that conversation was the biggest, I want to say problem, but a lot of people are scared to get help. You know, I've done a lot of stories recently just on sexual assault and the struggle that a lot of survivors and victims have are coming forward with their story and with their information and getting help and I think that was the biggest thing I learned was just that's still a problem, but that there are resources out there available. It just is taking that first step and realizing I have a problem. I have a substance abuse problem. How do I get help? Exactly. We, we run a tip line through Crime Stoppers, and we answer a lot of calls, and people are going through. And one of those things that they're going through is an addiction. We are proud to have COSA as one of our partners because – When we don't have an answer, we need to have a resource that we can call 
in order to get them the proper help that they need. And COSA is just one of those programs that do an outstanding job. So I was glad to get her on the phone, and I was glad that she was able to speak to us about COSA. Maybe someone learned something about the program today, and we're going to have her back soon because we have a lot of programs that we are trying to implement in the schools, and she's going to be the perfect person to explain. And hopefully we'll maybe even have some data or some results of good things that we're doing in the school system. Tony, I'll ask you as someone who works with Crime Stoppers, talk about what y'all see in the schools. How often are crimes directly related to substance abuse and specifically talking about our younger population? We see a lot of drugs taken out of the schools because we have uh, students that actually, believe it or not, they actually go to school to learn. And if someone's trying to sell drugs or bring drugs or bring alcohol to school, they want to get out of that environment, and they want that out of their school system. So we see a lot of students calling us anonymously, and they're reporting these students that are bringing these bad habits or these bad things uh, to the school system. So that's one. The students are actually empowered through our program to go to a school that they want to learn out of, that they want to be in a safe environment. Two, we do have a lot of youth that are calling us, and they are pretty much telling us about guns, which are related to, a lot of times, drug activity and gang activity, to be honest. So we're trying to develop programs that we can actually have the conversation with kids uh, so they'll be aware of what's out there and maybe even get the people that's going through systems some type of help. Because a lot of times we have a program called peer support or peer mediation, and 100% of the conflicts that are occurring in schools, the students are actually taking care of those conflicts or the the conflicts that are actually assigned to peer mediation. They're actually mediating with other students and they're giving them advice about how to solve their conflicts. So this is just one part of it. And that's why we're hoping that we can combine that first aid health, mental health uh, program with our conflict resolution and peer mediation program. Tony, last question. If there is a younger person listening to this podcast and, you know, maybe they are experiencing, they know some friends that they have that are struggling with substance abuse. Maybe they are themselves. Do they reach out to you? Do they reach out directly to COSA? Who would be the best resource to get in touch with if they have a problem with substance abuse and they're looking for help? Find someone to talk to first, someone that you can trust. And having a student to actually look inside themselves and say that I really think that I have a problem, that's the first thing to admit to yourself that you have a problem. The second is to try to get help. If you cannot find someone to talk to, you can call 215-STOP. At nighttime, uh, it goes to a call center, but all you have to do is say, I want to talk to a director of Crime Stoppers, and they will call me, which they have, (laughs) at midnight and try to get some type of assistance. And that's why we're here. We're going to try to help you as much as we possibly can. So if you can't get in contact with COSA, you can call 215-STOP, and we'll get, you to the, we'll get you the help that you need. All right. Well, with that, I think that concludes our podcast. Thank you so much. Remember, if you see something, say, say something. something. Thank you for listening to Central Alabama Crime Stoppers podcast. We are a nonprofit organization serving the state of Alabama. If you have any information regarding a crime, Please contact the police or Crime Stoppers using our anonymous 24-hour tip line at 215-STOP, area code 334, by downloading our P3 Tips app from your app store. When you call, be sure to receive a tip ID and password in order to dialogue with investigators in case there is a follow-up question. 
You can also contact us at our toll-free number at 1-833-AL1-STOP or visit our website at 215stop.com and follow us on Facebook at Central Alabama Crime Stoppers. Always remember, if you see something, say something. Hey, yo, Nick, run it back.